Welcome to the Genius Alchemist podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McBride, and today's conversation I'm really excited about because this is someone who I've known for a number of years and helped them on their journey as well, but also witnessed a lot of their journey and how they've changed along the way. So we have Calvin. Now Calvin began opening himself up to the world of healing from a very young age. He's now a holistic coach and spiritual practitioner. He first began meditating at the age of 10 and has been practicing meditation ever since. And as for many of us, life became really overwhelming for Calvin. And through this turbulent life, challenges, he re-emerged with the urge to hold space for others. And after spending most of his early 20s working on screen and performing, he decided to change the direction of his life and commit fully to his own healing journey and that of the world around him. Calvin does what he does simply because he loves people. He believes everyone's birthright is to be free and to have choice in life, no matter what that is. He is passionate about the work he does and he brings that into every interaction he has. He believes that if we work on healing ourselves, we get the chance to radiate that energy outwards and allow others to also heal. So, let the magic begin. Hi, so in this episode, I am absolutely delighted to have Calvin Lunt on. So, I've known Calvin for a number of years and his story is very, very inspiring. So I brought him on to share everything today about his journey, what he's been through and how he overcame it and challenges. So I'm going to get right into it. Calvin, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm, I'm honestly... This was like, I was so excited because we've been saying for weeks we'll get it done and then something kept happening and I've been <laughs> really excited to get you on today. So, yeah, you've been in the media recently. I have. I feel like a lot of my stories resurfaced again, but it's definitely resurfaced at the right time. Yeah. From where you are in your life. From where I am in my life and being able to kind of talk about it from a solid place, you know, and also being able to stand in my own power and, and, and to hold the story as, as my own. So do you want to tell in your own words, non-edited by the media? <laughs> <laughs> you're, so you're getting, the, you're getting the full story in about your journey which was transitioning. Correct. Yeah, I like to I like to call my story um, becoming a woman to become a man, and I think the reason why I call it that is because I got to really explore myself through this mask, mm. you know. But I, I I was very much used by this mask until I then took over, and I was able to then use that and then step into my own. You know, I think I, I I met you around. I think I met you as you know as a trans woman. That's when did, yeah. I think we we first seen each other. Um, I'd heard so much about you, and a friend of mine was working at your studio at the time, and she was you know this amazing healer, and I was just so excited to meet you. 
Um, and I think we we were at this, um, I don't know, it was like a, a meditation um, group in, in Central, in town, me and you, when I met, yeah. And um, yeah, and you know, my journey has, has all been about finding self-acceptance and self-love within myself, you know. I, I grew up really feeling and, and believing that I was wrong, you know, that I was I was a, a bad person, you know, and that nothing about me was right. Um, you know, me journey goes through, which we can definitely get into, and I'm, you know, no filter here with me, Sarah. Like you can yeah. ask me anything, and you know, I'm I'm very much open, and I like the fact that this is going to be very unedited, and you mm. know, it's going to be raw. Um, but you know, my life went through, you know, the party scene in Liverpool, and you know, taking drugs and and drinking a lot of alcohol, um, to the point of wanting to commit suicide. So just finding any avenue to escape me, which was Calvin. You know, I tried every avenue to escape Calvin. And, you know, I got swept up in this whole whirlwind of fame, you know, of this kind of glamour, you know, this lifestyle. And then ultimately it took me down down a path of completely eliminating me, which was, you know, I need to, I need to find a way to completely eradicate Calvin. And how do I do that? And, you know, what my path and what my journey took me down was was transitioning and you know I think a lot of people in Liverpool will know me and will know my story you know um, but they probably haven't heard this part of the story you know because a lot of people kind of did shy away and, and turn away from um, you know my journey because it it might have became a little bit too spiritual for them, you know. It might be a bit too, a bit <laughs> exactly. too much for them to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we met, I think it was, it was either 2016 or 17. I'm not 16. sure. 16, yeah. I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought it was 2016. And I remember it was, it was a cacao. It was a meditation cacao event. And I remember we connected and then you came back in. You popped back in one day. And then we remember mm. sitting in the seats in the reception, having a chat, getting to know each other. And I remember your story. And I remember the sense at that time that I got was that you were you were incredibly lost. Mm. But you were finding yourself. And even the fact you walk into the you walked into the doors of my healing center. You know what happens once you walk in them doors. And even that, like to me, was something is happening. And the conversations that we had, which was all about confusion, a sense mm-hmm. like a lot of confusion over your identity. And yeah, there was it, it was sad. It was sad. And, you know, this is why it's amazing for me to have you on, to see who you are now today than than back then, how sad you was, and how your journey of, you know, transitioning into becoming a woman was, like, well-documented and all your social medias with big followers. Mm. And, yeah, it felt like you were owned, mm. not by mm. yourself. I love that because I feel like that's exactly what it was. I was taken by the current of social media, by the media. I learned, my story was being told by other people and mm. I then 
kind of felt like this is the way that it needs to be. And the further that I got into that transition, the harder that I felt it was going to be to, yeah. to get out of it. Um, and I remember walking into that centre, I remember walking in just being like, I need some sort of help, you know, I need mm-hmm. some guidance. And I think I was like three months sober at the time. So it was just when I just got sober and um, I was just searching for some deeper connection, like some deeper spirituality. Like I'd started noticing and, and sensing these feelings arising, which was like, what is it that's happening for me? Like, what is it that's missing? Um, because I'm supposed to be happy. You know, I'm 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 supposed to be happy now. Like I'm on I'm on the estrogen, I'm I'm taking medication. You know, it's not long now until I'm getting you know me me breast augmentation and I'm getting me face smashed in five different ways and all of this stuff that I said that was going to make me happy. Like why why aren't I there? And it was you know the story that I tell everyone and it's like there was a moment when you know I was two two and a half years into living as a woman. And I went to a a, a surgery to get to get my breasts done, and you know they weren't able to do it within the time frame that I wanted it done because everything had to be quick for me. You know, it was like quick, 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 quick fix, get it done. And I re- I remember this, and it was like the pinnacle moment when the surgeon said to me, um, "We can't get it done in the time frame that you want us to do it, but we will have you happy." And that's um... when I knew that. I kind of went away and I remember sitting on the train with my mum coming back into Liverpool and I was just quiet. And in my mind, it, I was just playing like, okay, I said I was going to get Botox and that was it going to be it. That was going to make me happy. Okay, I'll get my lips on that make me happy. And it was just this constant, this constant feeling of, of seeking happiness mm. outside. And I was just trying to chase this feeling of happiness if that was in the bottle of a, you know, a bottle of a bottle, in the bottom of a bottle, if that was in the, the ends of a bag at the end of the night, like just constantly trying to chase this mm. feeling of happiness. And <clears throat> I was living in a supportive housing at the time in True Blue. And if anyone knows True Blue, <laughs> and if you don't know it, I'll, I'll let you know. It's a dive. It's somewhere that you probably don't even <laughs> want to drive through. I'm sorry, I live on the other side of where that where it is, and I'm allowed to say this, but it's just not somewhere where you would expect to, to find healing within yourself. And I've travelled all over the world. I've been to, you know, Thailand. I've been to these amazing temples. I've sat and meditated on these beautiful beaches. And in a place where I never thought that I would even walk into, you know, I found a part of myself in this part of Liverpool. And what I realised was happiness was with inside me the whole time. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I was stood, I was stood in the middle of town and I was living in supported housing. I didn't have any money in my account. I was no longer on social media. I had 30 pence in my pocket and there was this man just playing the drum in the middle of town. Mm-hmm. And I just stood there and I cried. And I'm getting emotional now just even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I cried with so much happiness and I said to myself, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Why am I this happy? And Mm -hmm. that's when I realised that happiness was inside of me and it always will be inside of me because just things that will get in the way and the things that get in the way are usually me. Yeah. You know, I'm the one that puts myself in my own way and that's when I just went, ah, okay. You know, and, and, 
there was a lot of other healing that was going on, you know, which we can get into. Um, but that's when I came to you, I think. And that's when I was just like, I just want some guidance, you know. But I think I was the opposite from everyone else. Do this, do that. <laughs> <laughs> my my guidance was, if I remember, pointing you back into self. You said, put your hand on your heart. And you said, just tilt your head forward. And I remember, right into my heart space. And you just said, just breathe into it. And we, we breathed into it. And you just said, how do you see yourself for five years? Uh, like, play the tape forward. Like, what do you see? And then you, like, play it forward even more. And it was really hard for me because as much as I was trying to see this woman, as much as I was trying to focus on that, I seen a man with linen pants on. I always remember this. A man with linen pants on, on a beach. Wow. And I had facial hair and I was free. Wow. Power, mm. the power of self, the power of tuning into your heart, the power of not mm. listening to anyone else. And it's interesting because anyone that knows me knows my thing around empowerment and knows my, one of the big things I push is about, there's so many psychics and, you know, you know, I'm an intuitive, that's how I work, you know, I read things, I see things. However, there's so many psychics, there's so many intuitives, there's so many coaches, there's so many therapists, there's so many healers, so many guides, and what they do is they tell you, mm. I see this for you, I feel this for you, this is what's going on with you. And it's like, we are our greatest teacher and, and we can only be pointed back to self. And I see a lot of disempowerment in this community, this spiritual, this healing community, a lot of disempowerment because people aren't getting choice and free will. And someone will tell them one thing and then they will create and manifest that life because someone else has told them, this is what I see for you. Mm. And for me, you'd been through so much confusion you needed to be pointed back to self. Yeah. And that was it. There was no way I was going to tell you what I thought. <laughs> because that's just adding to the confusion. It's what do you feel deep in your heart? Like we'll find mm. it. We'll always find the answer within when we're still enough. Having someone obviously guidance and holding space is different when we're in that stillness and we feel we can't kid ourselves anymore. That's true. Truth, the truth will always prevail. And I remember, I remember sitting and it was, it, we, it wasn't even a real healing session. It was a reception. <laughs> it, was, it was a chat. <laughs> I was like, get in. I've just got a free session. I'm staying in my brand. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was in the, it was a, it was a yeah, chat. And I always remember you going, I'm 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 a man, like that's that's how I see myself, and I remember the journey and 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 things starting to shift and change within you, and obviously you know you've gone through your own journey of healing, but then what was it like to detransition once you've made that decision of your truth? 
I'm glad that you asked that question because I feel like that question is never really asked. It's always more like what was it like transitioning? And I feel like the importance of it was because you mentioned before when I transitioned, it was very public. It was my story was very much like pulled from left, right and centre. And I just didn't, I wasn't able to be the narrator of it. But when I detransitioned and done that very privately, I came away and I came away from social media and I still do a lot of me healing privately. And as people probably think that I don't because I share things, but I do the healing privately and then I'll share the story because I think that's important for me to do. And I think like you just mentioned then, it's because it's about me being the guidance of my own life, you know, and, and me tapping into that and, and figuring it out for myself without the noise of everyone else. But um the process for me of detransitioning was was uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. I mean, you know, you know, when think people think of healing and you think of like this beautiful like fairy or this gorgeous monk sat on top of a mountain and he's sat there in like yeah. lotus position meditating, like you no, know, think yeah. of Linda Blair, think yeah. of the exorcist. It's like, messy. Yeah. It's, dark. it's messy. <laughs> I had to move out of my own parents' house. Like I had to move away from my mum because oh. I knew the, the the things that were going to come out were not going to be nice. And how I was going to be to people I loved around me, I could act out very easily. So I had to do that away. And, you know, I I stood in front of a mirror for six months. And the first night I sat in front of that mirror, I... I had a picture and it was it was a photo of me when I was like two years old and it was this very happy, carefree child with like not a boy in the world. And I looked at this little boy's eyes and I looked at myself in the mirror and I looked at my own eyes and I had to tell myself that these are the same eyes. Mm. This is the same. Now, where are you and what's happening? So it was about just connecting back to that that childlike state and connecting back to that inner child. That's what it was for me. It was a lot of kind of inner child work and that's where a lot of the trauma and the damage kind of happened. So it was about going back to that place for me. And then, you know, I hit a lot of anger at first, like where I just couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Like I just couldn't even look at my own face and there was just so much anger. And I'd swear at myself, I'd, I'd call myself some really horrible, horrible names. And I'd just come back to it the next day and I'd just keep revisiting and I'd just kept on moving through and shifting through all of those emotions. Mm. And then it got to a place of sadness. It got to a place of how have you left me? Like, you left me. You know, it was that child within that was mm. that said, you, you abandoned me. You weren't there for me. You're an adult now, Calvin. Like, come and help me. Like, help me. Because no one else is coming to do it for you. You know? And then there was a lot of sadness there. And then I went through the whole grieving stage. And then I got to joy. You know? I started to connect to that place of joy. And this is all just looking at my eyes at this point. You know, this is just looking, connecting back to me, connecting back yeah. to the soul, connecting back to the inner child. And then it was a lot of kind of joy within that. And it was like a lot of, I mean, I probably probably would have been sectioned if anyone walked in the room and just saw me like laughing at myself <laughs> in the mirror. It probably was like, yeah, it's time to go now. The jackets are here for yeah. you. Um, and then I moved into looking at parts of my body. Like the whole detransition process was like then looking at parts of my body. 
not telling me what YouTube tells me that my body should look like or mm. not listening to what, you know, this other person's told me that what every trans person should look like or what every other woman should look like. I then started connecting back into my body. I began to look at certain parts of my body and say, how do you feel about this rather than what you think about this? Because at this point, my thoughts were very warped. You know, my thinking was very kind of, it was very warped in, in the sense of conditioned, listen to what everyone else is saying, not having my own thoughts in the, at, this, at this place in time. So it was connecting to the feelings. How do you feel about this? Well, I actually feel all right about it. How do you feel about your chest? I actually feel all right about it. But then when the thinking comes, it's like, well, it should be like this. It should be like that. Mm. So I was able to start connecting back into my body that way. Um, so that was the process of the transition. And then obviously when I made, then that's when I made the decision when obviously me and you had both spoke and I, it was Maria that was doing the sound bath at your place. And <laughs> I laugh at it now because it's quite funny, but um, she was, you know, it was the first sound bath that I'd ever been to. Um, and she was hitting like all these, you know, bowls and she was hitting all these notes and it was just this one note she kept on hitting. And I was like, if she hits that note one more time, <laughs> I'm going to scold bag her. Like I'm yeah, really you gonna, gonna say that <laughs> it's that trigger. Something just gets inside and starts to trigger and bring yeah. all your stuff to the surface. <laughs> it, it was like someone scratching an airboard, and it was just I just <laughs> I, I just I I couldn't I couldn't and she boom she kept on hitting it and I was like really one more and I remember coming over to at the end I said what is that thing that you keep hitting because that's going through me. She said, which this, boom, and she hits it again. I went, don't <laughs> do that. Um, and she's like, it's a masculine note. It's a very bass heavy masculine note. Mm. Do you find it uncomfortable? And I said, I find that very uncomfortable, yeah. But you, you somewhat find masculinity uncomfortable. So everything in my life, I had pushed everything masculine away from me because, you know, my dad wasn't there for me. My stepdad was abusive towards me. My brother didn't look after me. School was horrible. Sexual abuse, all of this stuff, piled on top of each other. So everything to do with masculinity for me was not safe. Yeah. So I need to guard myself away from that. So I will not allow that to come in in mm. any which way. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I then acknowledge that I acknowledge that there was you know okay you're afraid you're afraid of the masculinity yeah. maybe you, you need to meet that from a positive place and at this point now I'm starting to present more as as a, as a, as a man starting to kind of grow my facial hair out a little bit more starting to kind of dress down not wear makeup um and I was in a 12-step program at the time so then I began going to men's meetings I was like, oh gosh, you know, I'm gonna sit in, I'm gonna be sitting in a room full of like men healing. Like, what's that gonna look like? And I'd never met love in a way that I did. I'd never been around men mm. and felt so held and and seen wow. in the way that I was. You know, my sexuality, the way that I looked, the way that I talked, the way that I acted, none of that was judged. You know, it was it was the emotions that we all seen. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, <laughs> that that it only takes a few shifts when you're ready, when the soul's ready. Mm. It just takes a few people to show up and point you back into something and you're ready and you, you were clearly ready. 
but what do you feel led you to not detransition but transition in the first place i know it was a lot of confusion but do you feel that there was any kind of influence specifically or whether it was just social media or you know what was what was it I think, you know, when I look back, I I was in California for like, I used to go back and forth to California, my auntie. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. And the first time I went was when I was 10. And I remember she showed me this film and it was called Too Long Through Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmore. That's the name of the film. I and it was, it was about a bunch of drag queens. Um, and I loved it. You know, I, I really did love it. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever really seen men dressing up in, in drag. Um, but saying that, my mum dressed me up when I was a kid anyway. So it was always it was always there. I'd always love dressing up and I'd always love playing. And, you know, um, escapism was was always my first drug. Like, that was, the, that was the thing. It was if I was either escaping in movies, if I was escaping in different characters and different kind of um, ways of being, I was constantly escaping and trying to be something that I wasn't. Mm. Um and you know the drag part you know I watched that when I was ten it was it was left there it was parked and I got I went through high school and you know I think high school for me was very in the first couple of years you know I, I came in very feminine and you know I didn't know how to hide my femininity you know I was I was you know people knew that you know I was I was definitely gay and um, I went to an all boys school so you know I was definitely picked out for that and um, I went to predominantly white school as well so you know being mixed race it was just very like I was always kind of negatively impacted you know if that was like mm. cutting cut chewing gum out of me hair on the way home from school because someone threw chewing me hair again and you know, so it was just constantly something and yeah. I remember the last couple of years of secondary school I made a promise to myself and I was like I need to find something to protect me and that's when and that's when I must have noticed that fantasy protects me. Mm. And I went into secondary school, went back into school and I just went super masculine. Started playing basketball. I was wearing the Timberland boots, I was wearing the Fubu, the Echo Trackies, like genuinely thought I was from like the hood, like the Bronx. And <laughs> I created this whole kind of persona that just got me through school. Didn't hang out with people still, but I was able to get myself through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it protected me and then I started dancing and you know from then dancing and then you know doing you know I was dancing back up dancing for like can you hear the ice cream van? No. That's fine <laughs> I can sorry um, <laughs> um, and then I started like dancing I was dancing professionally and I was you know a backup dance for Pink at the time and Britain's Got Talent and then Things happened to me within that dance school and it's stuff that I've actually never spoken about before. Um, I was groomed from the age of 15, basically, um, mm. by the person that was supposed to be looking after us. And um, I stopped doing what they asked me to do for them. Um, and then I noticed how my role in that dance company started to just like shift from being at the front and centre of everything to then being pushed back and kind of pushed out of the company um so me love for dance was was lost and then I turned to drag at the age of 18 so I started performing in the nightclubs mm-hmm. and for me like finding drag 
and finding drugs, finding drugs and drag at the same time was like the pinnacle place of ecstasy. It was the ultimate escapism. Like I got to escape Calvin Friday and Saturday and some of Sunday. You know, so I got to kind of fully throw myself into becoming a different person mm-hmm. each weekend and fueled by drugs and then fueled by the addiction of that escapism and mm-hmm. keep on coming back to it. And then, you know, the party then went from Friday to Saturday to then from Thursday to Tuesday, sleep on the Wednesday. And that became a whole cycle for me, which was just drugs, drag, drugs, drag. And that was like my whole world that I lived in. And, you know, during this time, I didn't fully get to explore my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Now, if people watch me from the outside, they probably thought, you know, I was I was putting myself out there in, in a sexual way. But saying that, I didn't actually become sexual with another man until I was 27 because my whole life at that first part of my life was focused on drugs, drag and drugs. Like, yeah. that was it. It was yeah. just that constant party. Um, I got a spot on, on a reality TV show on MTV and I thought that was it. This is this is the making of me. Like I get to I get to leave this mundane life of just like working in the clubs, you know. And I remember when I used to dance in the clubs, I'd have like this whole fantasy of like someone walking in and going, You you're the one, that's the one that we want. We're gonna sign, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. And you know, I just lived in this constant world of fantasy and getting on that show, you know, we were told that this was gonna be the making of us, like this was it. Mm. Like our lives were gonna change forever. We were gonna make so much money and you know, um and the show flopped like it did it, it was a flop and I was supposed to go back to normal life and at this point I I had accumulated probably you know at this point probably like 80,000 followers on social media and I was like I can't go back to work in a normal job like I, I, I can't do that and me performing in drag because I was no longer working in the nightclubs because you know I'm too good to work in nightclubs now. I just I just get you know I get booked to go and do this fashion show or I get booked to go and do this now. And so the money was coming in in drips and drabs. And I then noticed that when whenever I was on social media and whenever I was in drag and I was in that persona, people loved it. Mm. And I got all the validation that I felt like I needed. I got everything telling me how beautiful I was and how funny I was. And, you know, I would just really want to be your friend. I would love to hang out with Calvin. And it was just, you know, that that being bombarded with that and never having that growing up, you know, you're like, this is it. Like, this is this is everything that I've always wanted. So it's like on one, on one hand, you're disempowered. So 15-year-old Calvin, disempowered being groomed, disempowered. And then on the other hand, it's the validation that you seek because you've got no power in yourself. You don't know yourself, mm-hmm. so you're constantly seeking validation from anybody. Mm-hmm. And then that's what the social media, that's what the reality TV and everything gave you, that real validation that you thought you needed rather than your power back. It was, if I get validated, yeah. I'll feel strong. Yeah validation from people that you don't even know you know validation from people that don't really knock in your life that if you were to close that facebook that'll be it no one would ever care you know and then the drag then seeped into 
the daytime. And the reason why I say that is because what people don't realize is a lot of people who are influencers or have been on TV shows or have got some sort of following, aesthetic companies will always message you. Like mm. it's 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 what's there, you know, because it's business to business. I need to create, I need to grow my business. How can I grow my business? Well, you know, we get in touch with influencers. They've got the following and then I need the business. Um, so at the time I was being gifted with, you know, a lot of um aesthetics, you know, at the time, you know, I was offered Botox all the time, hair extensions, my nails done. So that just kind of fitted in very well. You know, I'm getting all of these things for free, so why not take it? Mm. So then as I started to then go into this place, and I'm going to loosely say it's an, an, addict, an addiction. I'm just going to loosely say that. Going into this place of addiction and being so addicted to this life, which is, let's say, cow, which, you know, I went by the name of cow when I was transitioning. Being so wrapped up in this place because when I was Calvin and I walked the streets, no one was really interested and no one was bothered, no one battled an island. I was just the average Joe walking down the street. Whenever it came to social media to talk about something that was interesting, whether that may be meditation, you know, I've been meditating since I was 10. So spirituality has been a part of life from a very young age. Whether that was, you know, me talking about mental health or just things like topics that meant things to me. I'd get like 50 views, but then put the wig on the head and start screaming around the house and running around the house in knickers and bras and getting like, you know, 1.9 million views. So it's like, well, what's working out here for me? Mm, It's feeding the validation. It's it's giving you exactly what you needed at that time. Mm. And, And it says a lot for society as well. Oh, it does. It does, you know. And, and I followed that and I went with it and then I got comfortable in this new identity. I got comfortable in this place. You know, it, it did, it, it, it started off first very androgynous. It started off very much like, you know, I'm wearing a little bit of makeup. I'm now wearing the long hair. I'm now wearing the long wigs during the daytime. I'm now wearing the nails. And, you know, it, it progressed very quickly and then very rapidly. And then it went from me then finding a whole community of of trans people online and then following you know a lot of trans people's journeys and listening to their story and really beginning to relate to mm. their stories relating to this sense of feeling very odd from a young age from never fitting in from you know liking men or not liking gay men from mm you know, this sense of not fully fitting in within the gay community and not fitting in with the rest of the gay men and playing with kids, playing with the girls when you were a kid and, you know, a lot of that. So I began to kind of tick boxes very quickly and say, yeah, that is me. It's mm. um, huge. And it, it is. And I think, you know, it, and when, when I think for people to relate to that, and I say this again very, very loosely, which is, you know, we can go on TikTok now and there's so many videos which can tell you that you've got ADHD. So a lot uh, of people can uh, tell yeah. you, 
a lot of people can diagnose themselves now with, with ADHD because they've just watched this video. Yeah. And then when people say to me, how stupid was you to think that you were trans from watching these videos? And it's like, find the similarities and not the differences. When, you know, you're, doing, think... when you haven't got a healthy sense of self and you don't know what your values, and I did a podcast on this, you know, um, you don't know your values, you don't know who you are. It's very easy to be, one, manipulated, too mm. influenced you know and we can we can switch it up constantly because we don't fully know who we are and let's be honest most people don't know who they are because yeah. in our circles yeah everyone's doing the inner work but as a whole it's a small percentage of people that are really doing the inner work mm. and that's that that's you know, part of the problem. Ultimately, there's not many people who are doing inner work to find out who they are. And that leads me on to, you know, talk about when you did detransition because everyone was cheering you on on that journey. You didn't know who you was, you were lost. You were following, you were being influenced as an influencer, the irony. The influence has been influenced and you're putting yourself out there. People are cheering you on. You're getting all your needs met. Then what? You decide. You go through this journey of healing. You decide that you want to detransition. And then what? I think life became... Life became easier. It became... I could breathe again, you know. I felt like I could breathe. But then also, you know, I began to learn what my values were, mm. you know, because I didn't grow up with values. I didn't, yeah. you know, I grew up with a house that was very kind of, it was, it was, you know, it was quite dysfunctional. And I think, you know, I weren't really allowed to fully get to know myself. And yeah. I mentioned this before, which was, you know, I grew up in Liverpool and I love Liverpool for, for what it is. But where I grew up in Liverpool, most of the kids that grew up on my street are either hooked on drugs or sat on drugs. Mm. Or, uh, you know, uh, maybe a couple of years younger than me and I've got three kids. And that's not me. To, that's not for me to diss them. But it's just me being able to notice this same, same, you know, this sense of, like, everything's quite the same. Now, when I was 10, which I mentioned before, I went to California for six weeks. And then I went back again when I was 13 for another six weeks. Now, I had the opportunity to see a different way of life. Mm. You know, I got an opportunity to see how other people live on the other side of the world, how people interact with one another, how love is shown, how, how people speak so openly and, and honest with one another. And then for me to come back home and then to kind of go, wait, something's wrong. Yeah. Something's really, really wrong. And, you know, when I detransitioned, I went back to California and I was there for three months, yeah. you know, and I did, yeah, because then when I came back, I came way through for a little bit. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I had to go to California because I felt like I had to socially detransition and I had to yeah. bring myself back into into society um, as a man and to do that without question. And it was, it was very, it was funny actually because when I was there the whole three months, I slept, all I'd done. I just slept and I remember saying to my aunt at the time, I was like, 
I'm really sorry. You know, I've not been much fun. You know, coming to visit. Yeah, I've, she said you're healing. That's it. Mm. You you you're just catching up on a lot of sleep yeah. because you tired yourself out. Absolutely. Rest. Mm. You know. So yeah, I remember that. I remember you went. You came back. You were in touch. You started working for me, and it was like you left, and it was like you was you were before you'd left you'd started you know and your extensions were out and you were changing the makeup mm-hmm. was off but then you come back to me a very grounded spiritually open ready for a journey totally different this influencer and then you came back working in a healing center humble sitting yeah. there you know attending all the events doing what you were doing and yeah it was massive but I also remember you lost a lot of followers on particularly Instagram. Mm, yeah. I lost a lot. They dropped. And then I I also, because obviously Facebook was more so my thing. So I was on like, I think I was up to like 160,000 followers on Facebook. And I I remember I went through my whole Instagram and I deleted everything off it. I unfollowed everyone and I went to my Facebook and I, you know, unfriended everyone and um, I completely just just took everything out of my life and just said, okay, I'm going to start afresh. Um, and I just did. I, just, I I never since that day, I've never fully engaged back with Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, I just I, I haven't, and I find it I just don't go on it anymore. I find it really difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. Instagram, you know, I I've came, I went back on there. I lost followers on Instagram, and then you know I gained followers again and then obviously during the pandemic when I began talking about you know my detransition again and like some of my thoughts and opinions around like what was happening um during that year you know I'd lost you know another I think of like another 20,000 followers mm. but it doesn't phase me yeah it's it's it doesn't bother me you know because my life's not dependent on how many people are watching or Absolutely how many people are liking so but but what it does show is what people support and what they don't support and i felt personally i felt like your healing journey wasn't supported no it definitely wasn't supported by people out out there and also you know if i'm not going to get into all of that but you know i noticed how the algorithm just completely cut me off you know because when i well most definitely because i think when i was talking about trans issues you know I'm put to the top of everything. When I'm talking about, you know, being super woke, let's just say, you know, and I'm talking about everything that's super woke and, you know, talking about, you know, the things that, you know, the media want me to talk about. And I was doing that. It was very much published. But as soon as I started talking about something that goes against that, um, I was cut off, you know, and I, I moved to London seven years ago. And the reason why I moved here was because I was so adamant to do a documentary. You know, we were so close. We were so so close, and um, they just they we just went through so many different TV productions, and like we just can't touch it. Oh, just, I, rem- we, I remember, yeah, because you rang me. I, mean, I I absolutely remember, yeah. You, yeah, 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 because you were going to be part of it. Yeah, I remember the documentary. Yeah. So that's what happened. It was just shunned. Yeah. No. We, they loved it, and, they, and this is the thing, they loved it. It was a great story, and it was something that needed to be said, but we just can't do that right now. 
Wow. We, we just can't do that because it's going against what we're actually, what we're trying to push. So for me, it was, I go, oh, okay, you know. What, and about, was, what about authenticity being pushed? What about truth? What about yeah. everyone's journeys being valid? Mm. Everyone's journeys being valid. And of also course. some people being in your position that may need that inspiration from you to help mm. them. Mm. And I find it very synchronistic how I'm leaving London in three months, mm. you know, and I came here to do this documentary and I came here to, to, you know, get into the media and to really push this story because I'm passionate about it and more so I'm passionate about it because I'm passionate about people. You know, mm. I'm I'm really passionate about people and, and their well-being and their health and, yeah. you know, having having the access to what I had the access to. And that's not for me to sit there and say, I'm going to heal everyone and make sure that everyone detransitions. Like, that's not that's not the story that I'm trying to push. It's about allow people to have options. Yeah. But what I find really interesting is now that I'm leaving, the story's been picked up, you yeah. know. Um, and I'm being asked left, right and centre by, you know, I mean, you're just like one of our podcast recordings that I'm doing within the next week. And, you know, I've got German TV company coming, flying over and, you know, we're doing interviews and, you know, it's hitting media and I'm moving to Australia. I'm not even there, but my story's there already. You know, it was in mm. Perth today. See, you know, you've seen that <laughs> on your socials. But I was here in Australia already. <laughs> but it's so time. It's time. And, and there's no attachment either. You had this emotional attachment, and that emotional attachment started to phase. And I'm just being happy with being me. Mm. And and obviously on this path, which I feel, by the way, is phenomenal to witness your journey of inner, real, deep self healing from where you was to where you got to. So how grounded you are, just how grounded to then yourself you know helping other people and what you're doing and your plans and how you're going to help heal other people of their trauma and you know all of their stuff it's phenomenal and it's needed and you have to go through that journey to be able to embody this because yeah there's a lot of people out there with a lot of different things but as the many people who've got your story to embody that that can help other people who might be on that same path you know? It's very true to think of it like that. And I think I took me story for granted a lot. You know, and as, as I said to you before, just before we started recording, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to mention this, which is, you know, you asked me, you know, do you see yourself as a healer? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just struggling with that at the minute. And I think why I'm struggling with that is because it took me journey for granted. And I said, I'm, I'm fine now. I'm good. I'm all right. Everyone can do what they're doing. I'm all right. I've got the life that I've got. I've got a nice house. I'm moving to I'm moving to a country where I've got a beach. I'm all good, you know? And the only way that I get to keep what I've got is by giving it away. It's the only way I get to keep it. The journey's only starting. The journey's not over. Yeah. The journey's no. only just beginning right now. Yeah. And, and it was always your time. And that's why it's all being picked up. And that's why, you know, people want it out mm. there. 
that's why you were one of my very first in my top five people to ask about just as a launch me podcast because it's time mm-hmm. and everyone's seeing that and also because how you do come across on socials now the authenticity who you are the somatic work that you do the meditations that you do like just who you are people are picking up on that frequency that vibration and and they want some of that now because it's a real grounded embodied you know healthy sense of self done a lot Mm. shitload of healing to get to where you've been now people people want that in their lives and you know what i think i'm getting from that which is you doing your training now it's time to step into it and it's i love how we've came around in a full circle because even having the conversation with you and you even you mentioned something before again which was off recording and i was just like my language is so far away from that at the moment because I'm not surrounding myself with the people that I need to be surrounding myself with. Um, and, and, you know, I said this to, to my partner the other day, which was, I'm not meditating as much as I should be meditating. I'm scrolling on Instagram and I'm just constantly, like, doping myself out on dopamine. And I'm not truly connecting with myself. And, you know, on, on Sunday, which I'm, I'm definitely going to mention it because on Sunday I'm going to be meeting Sad Guru. And wow. <laughs> me, he's, he was, he was, he was, you know, he was a real big opening into deepening yeah. my spirituality. And, and, you know, I kind of lost all of that and I got wrapped up in London life. And, you know, I noticed that the ego will always creep up. And, you know, I might not be, I might not be transitioning and I might not be running around nightclubs and me nicking the bras anymore and just being a complete utter lunatic. Oh, that, that part of me. That, that that part of self-destruction will still come out. You know, I can be stood in the coffee shop down the bottom of the road and, you know, everyone's wearing Prada sunglasses. And I'm like, why aren't I wearing Prada sunglasses? Like, why yeah. haven't I got those? You know, I can I can still tap into that. Well, why yeah. me? Why call me? And I'm happy to, like, really just come back to basics again mm. um, because I can notice, you know, where, where to get to and, also, at the same time, just noticing how being in a city can really make me feel sick, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, I would say, as you know, where I live, you know, I have to, I have to, <laughs> I have to just live by the woods. <laughs> like, whenever I go, there's woods, the woods, yeah. and there's not many people, and there's no neighbours, and, you know, and that because that's always been my life, like, for the last 10 years. But yeah. I'm the same, I get sick. But with what you're saying, I'd like to also add, though, just from place of reality check, as you know how long I've been on this journey, mm-hmm. learn whatever, whatever you want to call it, and the amount of work I've done, and you know, I still catch myself sitting there in self judgment or going, "Oh, I want that," or "I want to do this," or "Well, look at that." And it is, it's, it's for me, it's not about never having those thoughts. It's about how you regulate and manage those, and the self awareness. With self awareness, we can make a different choice. And with a different choice, we can take a different action and form new behaviours. And with them new behaviours, we become a completely different version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's about that. It's not about saying, oh, look, I'm that version now. It's just about, well, I'm catching myself in the moment and I'm going to choose that different action today. That's it. 
So just to just to normalize that where you are right now, I think we're all there to some extent, some degree. Yeah. And you know. Yeah, it's the choice of it, isn't it? It's definitely it's definitely the choice of it because it's like, oh well, I'm choosing to be that, but then okay, let's choose to to step back into this, you know. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think, you know, even just staying in contact with you a little bit more and you know, just that kind of yeah. circle, it's important. Well, we will. You know, after this, we, we we absolutely will. And we always do every now and then the quick call, the check-in, what's going on, the Instagram, the WhatsApps. And it's always like, but I always feel like, because as you know, my life's changing so much as well and things are expanding mm-hmm. and things are happening. And, you know, for me, same for you. Like every time we catch up, it's like, what's going on now? Well, this is happening. The new relationship. You did course <laughs> as well, didn't you? You know, do you know what I want to actually touch on that you know before we do end or whatever which was um I was in the most toxic relationship ever and I started this course with you um and it was tapping into like you know um what is it that I wanted in life um what was not serving me in 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 my life what was my purpose and I was so wrapped up in this relationship that I was in at the time and it was super toxic the person was just constantly cheating on me and I was allowing it to keep happening and I just didn't know how to leave I just didn't know how to get out of that relationship and you know, it was the first guy I'd been with and I was you know this is all I'm going to deserve and I remember saying to you know this is this this is what I want this is what I want in a relationship and so quickly that relationship ended and so quickly this person who was now came into my life. And three years later, you know, three years later, we lived together in this. Is this, this the same guy? House. Is this the it same is. guy that you met? Like, because yeah. you split up. Remember, we finished the course and you were like, shifts, there's things I need to do. I'm sure it was like a week later you ended that relationship. And then it was like a month or something later or whatever yeah. it was, he came in. I didn't know it was the same guy. Yeah, same um, person. Um, so there, there we go. My courses create life partners. <laughs> they, most, they most definitely do. I'm not even just saying that, but it, the manifestation that went on inside mm. that, you know, because coming back to the very first part when we spoke before, when you said put your hand on your chest and go into your heart space, and what do you see? And I said, I see a man in linen pants on a beach with the top off, and I see myself as a man. Now, I'm moving to the Gold Coast in, in October. I'm moving <laughs> to a beach, you know. <laughs> I've just got me, 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 permanent, me permanent residency to live okay. in Australia. Now, from the age of 10, I've been manifesting that I was going to live at the Pacific Ocean, right? And I'd always said I'm going to live at the Pacific Ocean. And in my mind, because my mind's so warped, it, it said I'm going to live in California. Now, I'd always believed that I was going to live in California, now, we were in Australia in January, and where it is that we were moving to, we, we were at this hotel, and I said, it's called the South Pacific. Why is it called the South Pacific? We said, because we're on the South Pacific. Okay. So I've, mm-hmm. I've manifested. I'm, I'm moving to the Pacific Ocean, but not the side that I thought that I was going to be moving to. Amazing. It's amazing. Your whole journey is amazing. And where you are now, like, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to link your socials in in the uh, the the show notes because I think it's important that people do follow your journey and do connect because there's big things coming which I know 
not to disempower you. I know something you don't. Thank However, you. <laughs> it's, coming. it's coming. So yeah, let, let everyone see that and be part of that. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story. You know, it's been really inspiring for me to witness. So just to get that out there for everyone else. And I want to just say thank you to you for holding space, but not just for me, but for other people and the work that you constantly do. And you just keep pushing through and it's amazing to see. So thank you, Sarah. Thank you for that acknowledgement. I appreciate you. Thanks, Carl. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Genius Alchemist podcast. If this episode has ignited your curiosity or inspired you in some way, then I encourage you to subscribe and share with friends. For those that want to stay in the loop and be the first to know about future episodes, special offers and free resources, make sure to check out the link in the show notes. By joining my mailing list or reaching out through that link, you'll have exclusive access to all the latest updates and ways that you can connect with me. I look forward to sharing more inspiring stories with you all in future episodes.